0: I'm Toby Kincaid. Let's be honest. Big oil runs the world. The best-kept industrial secret is that you pay for energy, is that you buy fuel, is that energy and fuel is a commodity. You need it, you pay someone for it. I mean, after all, like we covered in the last episode— why teach you to fish when I can sell you a fish every day and make a ton of money? And this has been kind of the, the banner on which a fossil fuel world is built. I mean, it takes a lot of energy to run a modern civilization, and, and that's what we have to do. But at, in what way? By what means? You know, a fossil fuel world is fraught with all kinds of stress it's st- it's stress financially because you have to pay for all this fuel every single time you need it and it has this huge toxicity we've been talking about this toxic time bomb in our soils that grow our food in the air that you breathe in the water that you drink and this very delicate boundary between the atmosphere and the oceans that little boundary layer is where most of life is generated If the phytoplankton or the algae are tipped over by chemical means or other pollutants, we have big trouble. Now what's amazing is that all of this was faced a century ago. You know where our story left off, we were talking about Ericsson. And uh, in the 1880s, he wanted to build on what Machot did with the first solar-powered steam engines. And he went to a new optics. He used this parabolic trough concentrator, and that gave you a great concentration. It would re- reflect up to the bottom of a, of a tube that would run along the length. But uh, his machines were, were demonstrable and, and uh, leading the way uh, towards a world that he thought would be either a terrible human condition or freedom. And to have freedom, you need a power supply. And to have a power supply, you can use concentrated solar energy. Well, Erickson, unfortunately, took this to his deathbed. He was an old man. He was 89 when he died. But it was reported he had one great regret, in that he couldn't bring a perfected solar energy machine to the world. Because this was the great vision You know, these great innovators have just been through this tumultuous 1800s, where there is all kinds of conflict and war. And And yet, contrast that with the incredible opportunity and promise of the Industrial Revolution, of this incredible explosion of ideas and understanding of the chemistries of life, the processes of life, the biology of life. So all of this was coming into focus. But Erickson uh, inspired many people, and several pioneers, American pioneers, began to emerge. Well, one of them was a man called Aubrey Aeneas. And Mr. Aeneas, he was an Englishman, but he emigrated to the United States, and he lived outside Boston. And in 1892, he formed the Sun Motor Company of Boston. And this is an amazing time. So what he wanted to do, Aeneas is going to take a look at all of the technology that came before. He's going to take a look at everything Ericsson did and as much of Machot as he could find in terms of technical literature. So he looked at all of this and he said, okay, I'm going to start with Ericsson, And I'm going to build a much larger parabolic trough concentrator, twice the size of Ericsson. And this turned out to be a great move because he was elated. His early prototypes worked very well. Now, with these parabolic trough concentrators, you're kind of low to the ground. They're kind of oriented north to south, and they can just pivot east to west to follow the sun. So he realized, however, that um, there's some thermodynamic losses here. See, the thing is, when, when, when things get hotter and hotter, they radiate more and more. So if you had a very high temperature in your solar collector... Uh, You tend to have a lower efficiency, even though that higher temperature gives you a higher efficiency in the actual steam engine. But out in the solar collector, high temperatures were sometimes an issue because you'd get losses. And Aeneas began to figure this out, that if you're reflecting sunlight from the ground reflector up to the bottom of this long tube going down the axis, um, the top of the tube is only getting sunlight and is actually losing more heat than it gains. So this made the solar collector array thermodynamically a little bit less efficient. So Aeneas really took a look at all this and he said, you know, I'm going to go back to Machot. And Machaut did that kind of inverted lampshade, you know, kind of uh, uh, concentrator. And the inside of the lampshade is concentrating to the center axis of that lampshade. The big end pointed towards the sun. And that gave you a really nice irradiation gave you a really high temperature, and thermodynamically gave you the kind of thousand degree temperatures that Aeneas was looking for to really drive his steam engines. So Aeneas went through this tremendous success with Ericsson, but then went back to MASHO and decided okay, we're going to go with this concentrator. Now he also, though, borrowed from Ericsson the idea of using this very inexpensive plate glass silver-backed and then kind of a coating on the back that isolated the silver from the environment. So this way it wouldn't tarnish and it was relatively inexpensive. It was still a bit heavy, so you had to have kind of a large girdle to hold the orientation of all these little glass mirrors. But he did it. And by 1901, Aeneas had a 15-horsepower machine. This thing was 32 feet in diameter. He calculated that uh, you needed to go much larger than Machot ever did by two and a half times. So he's got this beautiful machine, and now he decides, uh, this is now 1901. Okay, where's the best place to test and showcase this incredible motor, this sun engine, this industrial solar device. Well, one of the big prizes, of course, has been always the Southwest. California, Arizona, New Mexico. There's a great need of of water pumping. It's a huge market. And there's very little coal or natural gas out there at the turn of the century now. So we're still just at the the dawn now of the 20th century. So he hooks up with a friend of his called uh, Costin and Costin has an ostrich farm, the only ostrich farm in the United States in Pasadena. So, uh Koston had this great farm. He had about 100 ostriches and you know, he he grew the ostriches for the plumage for ladies hats. And he they got together and Aeneas said, "Hey, why don't I bring my solar engine here and irrigate your orchard?" You've got an orchard there, right? And he said, "Yes, I got 300 acres of of citrus trees." Well, Aeneas says, perfect, I'll run the solar water pumping system, and people can come when they see your ostrich farm, which was a kind of a big attraction in Southern California. Um, they can see the solar motor. So, Costin and Aeneas get together, and it was a huge success. Uh, they had these handbills that said, you know, for no extra charge to see the solar motor, the only machine of its kind in the world in daily operation.'" 15-horsepower engine worked by the heat of the sun. So, this was quite a spectacle. And uh, in Southern California, a lot of people came from here and there to to see this tremendous, uh, not only the Ostrich Farm, which was a a great attraction, but this incredible machine. And there was a, a reporter named Millard, and he was flabbergasted. I mean, he saw this machine Irrigating 300 acres of citrus trees, it was pumping 1,400 gallons a minute. Well, you know, you got to give it to them. That's pretty impressive. So, you know, when Millard saw this, he thought, you know, solar motors will long, will be seen all over the desert, as thick as windmills in Holland, and that they will make the desert bloom as a rose, a phrase that literally represents the possibilities of the machine. So... Okay, Millard was really into it. So he had another description. He goes, you know, At first, the morning dew is seen slowly to ascend in a wreath of vapor from the gigantic mouth. Then the bright glasses glitter in the morning sun, and the heat lines begin to quiver inside the circle, the greatest commotion being about the long black boiler, which, as the intensity of the focused rays increases, begins to glisten so that in any photograph taken of the machine, the boiler is shown almost pure white. Within an hour of turning of the crank and getting the focus, there is a jet of steam from the escape valve. The engineer moves the throttle. There is a succession of hisses from the boiler, a clank, clankity clank. And the sun is drawing water in a way which he little dreamed a few months ago. Okay. (laughs) That's quite a description. But can you imagine? This is is 1901. And even in the handbills, they had a a, a promotion where the Pasadena Electric Car Club could uh, pass the entrance for free. So if you can imagine, in 1901, uh, making the tour of Southern California, going to see the ostrich farm and this incredible incredible solar-concentrating steam engine that's pumping 1,400 gallons a minute. Well, remarkable. You know, there was, a, there was another reporter who wrote, should a man climb upon the reflecting disk and cross it, he would literally be burned to a crisp in a few seconds, and a pole of wood thrust into the magic circle flames up like a match. Okay. So here we have Aeneas. He has really put it all together. He's created an incredibly durable machine, a machine that works optically and thermodynamically. And he borrowed most of this from Machot. He was able to improve upon it with his better mirrors and a better balancing system. He even designed a, a clockwork tracking system that kept it automatically facing the sun. So when the engineer got it cranked up in the morning and pointing towards the sun, then it it took care of itself through the whole day. Aeneas was amazing, and he borrowed a lot of great concepts from Machaut. For example, his boiler was two concentric cylinders of copper, and what he'd do is put the water in between the jackets. And this was kind of brilliant because then you, you had a much higher surface area to volume ratio, and the water was able to absorb the heat very quickly and rapidly, flash boil, basically. So Aeneas was really on the verge, and he was thrilled. I mean, he opened an office in Los Angeles. You know, the Sun Motor Company of California was incorporated. So he was on his way. Now, a lot of people took notice, and he had a couple of orders, one in Tempe, Arizona, another in Wilcox, Arizona. But there was one problem that Aeneas just couldn't quite overcome, and that was the wind loading and the occasional violent storms were just too much for his apparatus, and it and it broke the the housings. Nothing to do with the boiler or the machine itself. It just under extreme storm events, it would tear up the optical system, and this led to Aeneas uh, uh, kind of sputtering and having trouble by around 1907. So. The Sun Power Company of California had a great start, and yes, did things that uh, led, you know pioneered and led the way. But um, there was a newcomer that kind of had to take up the mantle again, and his name was Frank Schumann. Now, Frank Schumann was uh, a resident of Philadelphia, and, you know, there's uh, coal pollution. I mean, the, the pollution in this age, you've got to remember... London, in 1899, was the largest city in the world. I think it had 7.7 million people. But it had hundreds of thousands of coal-powered chimneys and, and thousands of small cottage steam engines, all run by coal. And it made acid rain, and I mean, it was deadly. So the idea of a coal-powered world to someone like Aeneas and now Frank Schumann was really kind of unthinkable. There was no future in it. And, uh, you know, Frank Schumann wrote about this. He said, uh, one thing I feel sure of, and that is that the human race must finally utilize direct sun power or revert to barbarism. Now, this is quite an amazing statement. We must utilize direct sun power or revert to barbarism. Now, his words then, in 1906, are as true then as they are now, at the dawn of our 21st century. You know, at this time, you know, we're just past Kitty Hawk. I mean, humanity is opening up in ways that must have been mind blowing to all the people electricity, flight, uh, unbelievable. And Schumann knew this, and, and he, he, he wrote, um, You will at once admit that any businessman approached several years ago with a view of purchasing stock in a flying machine company would have feared the sanity of the proposer. After it had been shown conclusively that it can be done, there is now no difficulty in securing all of the money which is wanted, and very rapid progress in aviation is from now on insured. We will have to go through this same course. So... He realizes to turn solar energy into a business, you have to be profitable. And to be profitable, you need to have this demonstration of actuality. And this is exactly what Schumann does.